Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Two attorneys from the firm's intellectual property department discuss how some of today's most important IP legal cases impact businesses and branding. Emily Holmes of Counsel of Brownstein leverages her intellectual property experience to help clients develop, protect, and enforce their intellectual property rights in the United States and internationally. Litigator Carrie Lamont, an associate at the firm, works actively with clients to resolve complex business disputes and protect their valuable intellectual property, including high-profile brands. In episode two of the Branding and Trademark podcast series, Emily and Carrie discuss how a recent decision from the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board relates to competitors in the beer and wine industry that want to use the same or similar trademarks through consent or coexistence agreements. Hi, I'm Carrie Lamont. I'm an associate at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. I do intellectual property litigation and advice related to trademarks in particular. I'm here with my colleague, Emily Holmes. Hi, I'm Emily Holmes. I am of counsel here in our IP department at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, Shrek. I do primarily brand management work um, and advising clients on trademark and branding related issues. In our last episode, we talked about some trademark issues relating to real estate with a specific focus on a pending case relating to the Yosemite National Park. And this time we are talking about another topic close to the heart of many of us here in Colorado, craft beer and breweries and how this recent decision from the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board relates to competitors who want to use the same or similar trademarks. That's exactly right. And so in crowded markets like the craft beer industry and many consumer fields, we see competitors with very similar trademarks that for whatever reason have decided that it's not a problem from a business perspective for them to coexist. Um, In some cases, that may mean that they operate in vastly different areas of the country. It may mean that they operate through different channels of trade. Could be a a mass market type beer product versus a craft brewery, that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, they've decided that it's not a problem for them to coexist in the marketplace and they want to find a way to do that. Um, As we've discussed previously, Carrie, a lot of times coexisting and using the same marks is not as much of an issue as obtaining federal registration for both of the marks. And so what we want to talk about a little bit today are what are called consent agreements or sometimes coexistence agreements that are the agreements whereby these competitors can agree to do so. Um, And I think it probably makes sense for us to focus on some of the registration-related issues because those do tend to be a little trickier. The biggest issue with obtaining registration for two similar marks is that the trademark office gets involved. A lot of times people think that trademark law is out there to protect a company's brand, but really it's out there to protect consumers. We don't want consumers to be confused in the marketplace. And that's where the trademark office really steps in to say, it's nice that the two of you want to coexist, but we're concerned that consumers are going to be confused. A recent decision from a trademark examiner really underscores the activist role that the trademark office takes in these situations and um, has kind of changed the way we think about consent agreements a bit. So what do you think of the decision and what's your biggest takeaway from it? Sure. So the decision involved two beer companies. The senior user, meaning the company that had applied for the mark first and had been using it first. 
their mark was time traveler. And the junior user or the applicant, meaning the second company that wanted to apply for federal trademark registration, wanted to use the mark Time Traveler Blonde also for beer. So as is pretty obvious, I mean, the goods were identical. They're both related to beer. The two marks are very, very similar. Time Traveler Blonde and Time Traveler. Of course, blonde is what Emily and I refer to as descriptive, meaning it describes the character of goods. We all know what a blonde beer, what that means is a type of beer. So the examining attorney went through the analysis and concluded that a separate and apart from the coexistence issues, that there was a likelihood of confusion that would prevent registration of the junior user's mark. The parties anticipated this, <laughs> and they tried to come to an agreement between each other that would allow them to both have registered marks. And again, as Emily said in the opening, the issue here is not whether or not both parties could be using their respective marks on their own beers in the marketplace. The issue really was whether or not the junior company could obtain federal registration. In other words, they both wanted nationwide rights on the trademark register for their respective products. So they did what Emily and I have both done numerous times and entered into what is called a coexistence agreement. The parties agreed essentially that there was no likelihood of confusion so long as their use was restricted as they agreed. And they came up with what before this decision was pretty standard terms to a coexistence agreement which was basically that the junior user's geographic scope of use would be limited. In other words, they would only be selling their product in, I think it was two or three states. But there was no accompanying restriction on the senior user's use. So the senior user could use it all throughout the United States and the junior user could was limited in time. And, and that was something that by the way, was common, and you'll see why that's problematic in a minute. But they also had some other sort of what we call use-based restrictions, right. meaning they agreed to use them with quote-unquote housemarks, meaning their overall brand. So say Budweiser is a housemark. They agreed to use it in connection with basically their overall branding label. And the trademark examiner said, no go, didn't accept it said this doesn't overcome the likelihood of confusion and you know my interest is really with protecting the public Right. And I have to say, you know, I saw this the morning it came out and it really stopped me in my tracks because, as Carrie said, this is something that we do all the time. It's very, very common for the senior user to have nationwide use of the mark and for the primary restriction and primary mitigation of likelihood of confusion to be that the junior user is limited to a couple of states. And so this really turned the whole thing on its head um, and has really affected how we, we manage these kinds of agreements and disputes on a yeah. going forward basis. The big takeaway from my mind from an enforcement perspective is that I think it's difficult if you're the senior user, a coexistence agreement is probably not a settlement chip that you can use or agree right. to unless you're willing to sacrifice rights that you already have. 
That's exactly right. I mean, so what, what this decision really came down to is that you cannot have overlapping geographic territory. And as a senior user, you don't really want to cede any geographic territory to a junior user. And so your choices are either proceed with a lawsuit or a, a trademark trial and appeal board proceeding in administrative litigation, or find a way to settle via consent agreement. But that's just such a weak option at this point that you really don't have a lot of settlement chips to trade, as you say. Yeah. And I think that on the flip side, if you're the junior user, it's almost worse because you have to rely on a senior user being willing to give up some of their rights. Right. Which we don't often see. No. And even if you are from a business perspective, not a threat, which we see a lot. I mean, if you're a big dominant player in the industry, you might not care about a small junior user who's very limited and not very successful. And that may be the reality of the marketplace, but that's certainly not going to be a reality of trademark registration. Right. Yeah. There's not a great path for a junior user to obtain trademark registration at this point. And and this decision arose in the craft beer context, but it's really not limited to those industries. I mean, we see it in a wide variety of similar areas, particularly anytime you're dealing with consumer goods, meaning products that the public interacts on a day-to-day basis with not a lot of specialty or niche focus. So like products you can find at Target, say. All of those are going to be, I think, looked at from a trademark examining attorney's viewpoint as really what is the risk to the public here of confusion. Um, And I think this tells us that there isn't a lot of options for parties to come to an agreement on their own and still have both marks be registered. Right. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the, the trademark examiners have always reviewed consent agreements. Um, but I think this is really telegraphing a much more activist role. It used to be perfectly fine to just say, oh, you know, we'll familiarize ourselves with the other's trade dress. We won't, we'll try to make sure we don't look similar. And if we become aware of any actual confusion, we'll definitely take steps to address it. And that used to be sufficient. And now I think we're going to see a lot more scrutiny, particularly where, as you said previously, Carrie, the marks are so similar and the goods are so similar. Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's any way you could still get a federal registration if you're the junior user? I mean, what would you do? Can you contract around it? I think you're and you have a really hard time contracting around it. I think you have to look at it more on a pre-filing basis of we know we're not going to probably be able to get a consent agreement. So we're going to have to have some really dynamic design element or we're going to have to file with our house mark. We're going to have to do things to make our mark really distinguishable so that this issue doesn't arise in the first place. I think that's your, your best bet. Something that you and I have talked about is channels of trade. What if you're selling through a really different channel of trade? Um, so we see this sometimes with cosmetics, right? A lot of cosmetics are sold through some of these mass market stores, Sephora, Ulta, those kinds of places. But a niche group of cosmetics are sold through sort of multi-level marketing type situations where someone comes to your house and sells you the product. That can be an argument that there should not be confusion between the two brands. I think as a general rule... I don't think that's really true from a consumer's perspective. And certainly, I don't think the trademark office cares that much about channels of trade unless you're willing to put it 
into your application and therefore, you know, set your channels of trade in stone to some degree. Which doesn't allow for flexibility later on. What if you're acquired? What if you're, you know, the junior user oftentimes is a small little company that hopes to be acquired by like a Budweiser, right? That That's not a strong portfolio to put up when you're hoping to be acquired by someone. So we talked about channels of trade. How would that apply in the brewery context? So I think that would be a situation where one party would be selling its beer in, in what I would consider the most traditional channel of trade, you know, through liquor stores on the shelves there. And another party maybe only sells its beer at its own brewery or in bulk to local restaurants, uh, maybe at beer festivals, that sort of thing, so that you wouldn't be seeing the two beer brands side by side at the liquor store. Instead of doing a coexistence agreement, would it have made a difference if they had done, say, a license here or another kind of transaction that could have remedied the problems here? I think that'll maybe help you to some degree on a use perspective. The senior user doesn't have to give up rights in a license arrangement, um, but I don't think it gets you where you need to be from a federal registration perspective. And I think you run into trouble when you try to use a license to cure a coexistence problem because in most circumstances, the parties aren't using the exact same mark. They're using a similar mark, but not the exact same mark. And so my concern is always that you're potentially outside the license. If I grant you a license to time traveler and you're using time traveler blonde, do the restrictions in the license apply? It makes me really nervous. I'd rather see a coexistence agreement that deals solely with use um, and maybe doesn't give up any rights from the senior user's perspective than to see a license agreement in that kind of circumstance. So I think we agree that if you're the senior user in this scenario, the tact is put your foot down, essentially take a hard stance and don't give way unless you really want to on your registration. And on the flip side, if you're the junior user, you may need to really be aggressive in attacking the validity of the senior user's mark if you can, and if not, maybe be prepared to make substantial changes to uh, the mark that you want or not obtain one at all and be consent or happy with just using it and not have a federal registration. Right. And as you know, Carrie, all these issues come down to your pre-filing diligence. So I don't know if Time Traveler Blonde conducted clearance before going into this and hoped they would be able to get a coexistence or maybe slide by the trademark office. It seems unlikely because had they done clearance, surely Time Traveler would have come up. And I think that that's what these kind of junior users need to do. They need to conduct their clearance and they need to then modify their mark or come up with a wholly different mark if they want something that's truly going to be protectable. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.